Well, good morning. Now, to those of you who are in the room, I've said that about three times, but those of you who are joining us via video, this is the first time for me to say good morning and welcome uh, to Centerpoint Fellowship Church. We're so glad that you are here to worship with us. Now, I am obviously not John Schmidt. Some would say I'm the better looking version. I'm kidding. I'm just playing. Uh, but our senior pastor, John Schmidt, is with our uh, Wetumpka site today. So you be in prayer for him as he's visiting with those guys. And it's kind of neat to think and remember, even here in Prattville, this is the broadcast site and this is where it all starts. But uh, we have several sites in the area and always uh, just looking to be sensitive to what, where God leads to uh, expand this ministry. So uh, that's where John is at today. Now, today we are continuing in our Courageous Faith series through the book of Daniel. This is week three of that, the third installment. And I believe God's got some really uh, neat things to show us today. And uh, I trust that he'll uh, use this time in your life. Now, when you came in, you were handed a bulletin with an outline in it. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and take that out so you can follow along with what we're talking about this morning. There's some blanks for you to fill in. And with those blanks, unless you plan on cutting yourself and writing with, okay, don't do that. But uh, our ushers are here in the front and they'd love to give you a pen if you didn't receive one on the way in. So simply raise your hand and our ushers will get those uh, to you. Now, as they're passing those out, I I thought I might clarify to you uh, what, Uh, my job student pastor is because it's kind of funny every now and then um, I'll get asked you know student pastor what's that are you like a student learning how to preach and you're just kind of following John and and doing what he does and whatever ha ha Uh, and that's not it but it's it's funny I don't know but I I can tell you a few things for sure uh, that it's let's see it's all about relationships Uh, the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice and at center point uh, we seek to help people center their lives on Christ hair flip Okay, some of, you, some of you have been around a while. Now, yeah, I got some applause for that. That's all right. Uh, the hair flip, that's a, that's a uh, John Schmidt, our senior pastor. He does that. I was afraid if I did, I'd lose a finger. So, I mean, it's like daggers up here. So, you just, you got to be careful around that. So, anyway, well, look, I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump into the text that God has for us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we love you, and we thank you for this day and for this opportunity to gather together and to study your word. And uh, Lord, if, if I speak from my wisdom and from what I know, uh, Lord, it'll come up pretty empty pretty fast. But uh, Lord, if you speak and you use the truth of your word in our lives, then it'll be powerful. Uh, this will be something meaningful. This, is, this will be something that's potentially life-changing. So Lord, I ask that you would move me out of the way today, that uh, your spirit, as you live in me, God, uh, Lord, I pray that I'd move out of the way and uh, you would speak this morning through your truth. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I already told you that we've been working through the book of Daniel, and today we're in the third chapter. So our first point today as we jump right in is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived in a culture that was hostile to their faith in God. They really did. They lived in a a culture, and we're going to see that in just a moment as we read. But even with that statement, I don't think it's much of a stretch for you and I to think about the fact that uh, our culture is not always open arms to people of faith. Uh, for example, uh, a student could look at it like, uh, like this. It's, I don't know if it's the most popular thing in the world to go to school and carry your Bible with you or be an outspoken person of faith on the campus of any of our high schools. Imagine if uh, you were really committed, really sold out, and uh, meant you were going to walk the line and, and live for Jesus Christ, and you were going to stay away from some of the pretty common things that uh, drag well teenagers and adults down, alcohol, drugs, um, self-image issues, 
uh, immoral relationships. You know, the list goes on and on, right? It never stops. It's not just a teenage thing. That's an adult thing as well. You never grow out of that. But imagine for a moment if uh, you were that teenager, in some ways you're committing social suicide because you're not going to get invited to the cool parties. And people are going to be like, why bother inviting him because we can't drink and not feel weird if he or she comes. So they're not going to invite you. So there's something on the line there for us where our culture could hurt us for being people of faith. Now, that's a teenage example, but for adults, I mean, I don't think we'd have to think very long and hard. Your job could come into question over your faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine if you were in like, I don't know, maybe a sales position and you had customers in town and your boss told you, hey, I want you to take them out to dinner and uh, the bar tab is on us. Keep it flowing, man, because we want these guys to really make a good conscious decision. Okay, uh, we... we we want to buy our stuff, so you know, keep, keep the bar tab flowing, let it go. And then when, it, when you're done with dinner, uh, this particular group loves to go to the gentleman's club. And I don't know why that term, gentleman's club, but whatever. You know what I'm talking about. I don't think it's very gentlemanly, but whatever. Uh, they like to go there, so I want you to take them there after, it's, after you're done with dinner. And imagine saying to your boss, Hey, that's, man, that's, that's outside of, uh, out of bounds with my faith in Jesus Christ. I don't think it's an honoring place that he'd want me to go to. And imagine... If your boss looked to you and said, oh, you will be going, or you'll be looking for a job on Monday, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when life puts you in that situation? Because we live in a day where the culture is hostile oftentimes to our faith, even in Prattville, Alabama, right? Where We're the buckle of the Bible belt. We still live in a world where that is the case. I remember there's a a student that I met one time at a, in a school cafeteria. I, I, I was there visiting, and I saw a young man that I knew, and I went and sat by him, and he introduced me as a student pastor at his church. And I sat down, and she was really quick to say, Hey, I want you to know I'm an atheist, and don't you be pushing your beliefs on me. And I smiled, and I said, I'm a Christian. Don't you go pushing yours on me, huh? You know? And, <laughs> and, and, we, and, we, and we both laughed, and it was funny, and we struck up a neat little relationship, and that was cool. But even just sitting at that table, it it became obvious very quick that the culture was hostile to my faith. We live in that way. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego live in the same place. In fact, the first point here, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered everyone to bow down and worship a gigantic golden statue. (laughs) Let's read about it and kind of wonder, what's the big deal, right? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, I want you to bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed down to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I think we can all associate with this. I think, again, sometimes life puts us in places where we feel like we're trying to do the right thing and we're trying to honor God and everybody else is going the other direction. I mean, people are cutting corners at work and they're doing whatever and things are uh, a little bit below the table financially maybe or immoral or whatever. And we feel like I'm trying to do the right thing and everybody else is going the, the wrong way. Would it really be that big of a deal? Does it really matter if I just caved a little? It, you know, because after all, in this story, the king is just asking people to bow down to a gold idol. 
And he's going to kill us if we don't. So what's the harm, right? What's the big deal if, if I just bow down this once and then I live to fight another day? Does God even care? Well, God does care. In fact, we see it uh, as he speaks through Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 5. And it's a life application, life application for you and I. You must not have any other God but me. Pretty, clean, uh, pretty plain and simple there, pretty clear. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's serious business to God. He says, don't put anybody else above me. Don't put anything else above me. You're like, when do we ever do that? Okay, hold on. I'm coming to your living room, and I'm sorry. But some of you here today, through the months of August, September, and October, yeah, you know where I'm going, uh, on through uh, the end of the year, you bow towards the east. And you make this statement that sounds a little something like war eagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's, if you're not in that camp, pretty much the rest of you, you turn towards the west. And you say, roll tide. Yeah, yeah, y'all are helping me finish that. Um, Imagine this. Imagine if somebody said to you, Alabama fan, you must say war eagle. (laughs) Woo. It just won't come out. And Alabama fans or Auburn fans, it's the same way. If somebody told you to say roll tide, you'd be... Can't do it. And see, it's easy for me to say either one because I'm a Kentucky fan and we don't even play that ball if it doesn't bounce right. But anyway... But our big rival, right, the University of Louisville, if you ask me to root for them and say, I can't even say it, right? If Louisville was playing a Taliban, I'd have a hard time picking. I, you know, uh, maybe the stadium would just implode and both teams would go down. I don't know. But that makes it really easy to see that we can't, and we won't have another team in sports. And God's saying it needs to be, if, if it's that important to us for our team, how much more important is it for us to not have another God? right? You say, I don't have any other guides. Oh, be careful. I mean, it might be status. It might be money. It might be anything that's more important to you than God. And it, it becomes a God. We got to be careful about that. But we see it in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one, love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, it's, it's a big deal for us not to let other idols into our lives. And there, you know, he's talking about it's hard to serve God and money. And I think it's noteworthy that money is very much a God for us sometimes. I mean, it influences major decisions in our lives. I mean, come on, we've all been there, I'm guessing, where we were offered another job or a higher position at the place of employment that we're already at, and it promises more money, and it promises better benefits, and it promises, and it promises, and promises. The only thing is it's going to cost you a little more time. You're not going to have time to go to church. You may not have time to spend time with your family. You might have to miss a few ball games. You might have to, yeah, I know you got little children. I know you got grandkids. You want to be a part of their life. But if, if you take this job, and folks, I'm being real for us, not for you, for us. That's a tough decision sometimes to be careful what gods we're allowing to dictate where we're going to be and what we're going to do and how we're going to act. You see, it's a big deal not to let other gods in. 
Well, as we continue on our story in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. They refused to do it, as we read on in Daniel chapter 3. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued, a, you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're tattling on them. If you have kids, you get this, right? They're like, <laughs> king. Uh, I hear that too much. I'm sorry. That, whatever. Uh, he said, there's some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, if you remember back to last week, as John was uh, taking us through Daniel chapter 2, the king had a dream that he was troubled by, and he didn't know how to interpret it, so he called all his wise men in his ministry of magic, Harry Potter. Uh, he called in his magic team. That was funny. Y'all can laugh at that. Thank you. Uh, he called his, his wisest men in to interpret the dream, and he, he kind of caught them with, he said, I want you to tell me what the dream was and interpret it. And they're like, well, there's no way we can do that. No, only the gods can do that, and the gods don't live down here with us. And then Daniel came in and said, our God lives among us, and he can tell us the dream, and he can interpret it. Let's go pray. And they did. And it really showed up those wise men. So now they see an opportunity. They're like, we can get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back now. And it kind of leads us to the note here. If we stand for God, sooner or later, we will stand out. If you and I decide today that we're going to, you know, I'm going to stand for God and come what may, I'm going to stand up for him, we will stand out. In fact, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You see, I think it's important to note that light stands out in darkness. It really does. I mean, think about it. If you walk into a dark room, you turn on the light, dark goes away. Well, we live in a dark world. We really do. Sin all around us. In your job, in your school, and wherever you go, it's just it's a sinful culture. We've already established that. But I remember a really important lesson that I learned about this a long time ago. I was, um, I was probably about 12 or 13 years old. I was growing up in Kentucky, and there's a lot of caves there. And uh, I was on a, a youth trip, in fact, to uh, explore one of these caves. It was called Mammoth Cave. Some of you might have even been there. It's a big uh, state park up there. And I remember walking through uh, in the cave. We'd gone quite a, a ways underground and we went into this very large cavern. Now, it was all illuminated. They had light, a light switch and there were fluorescent lights all over. And you could see the detail of all the uh, interior of that cave cavern. And it was really impressive. But I remember the guide on the trip said, hey, in just a moment, I'm going to cut out the lights. And when I do, uh, you're going to want to be still because you are not going to be able to see a thing. You may think you've seen darkness before, but you have not seen darkness like this. This will be the total absence of light. And I remember with my sister, my younger sister beside me and my parents there as well, he counted down three, two, one, and the lights went out. And I, I mean, you talk about absence of light. It was dark. I mean, I could put my hand in front of my face and I couldn't even see that it was there. And then I realized my sister was standing beside me. It wasn't me. I, nobody saw it. That was funnier than y'all let on, but it's okay. The lights came back on, and guess what happened to the darkness as soon as the lights came on? Gone. You see, because light overshadows dark. 
In fact, that reminds me of a, a story I heard once about a, a young lady. as a young career woman who had started a new job. Uh, she was a Christian young lady. Uh, she started a, a job in a, it was a, an environment that was less than desirable, I guess, for a Christian person, she thought. Uh, surrounded by people who were uh, deep into alcohol and drugs and immorality and all kinds of things like that. So she went to talk to her pastor and asked him to pray for uh, her co-workers. So she sat down in his office and began to share about how pagan the people are there. And they are just, man, none of them go to church. And the pastor kind of interrupted her and said, where do you put lights? And she kind of disregarded him and kept on going, talking about how uh, pastor, they, they talk all the time on Monday about the drinking they did uh, on Saturday and Friday. And woo, it's just bad. And he said, where do you put lights? And she said, I don't know. Uh, but man, they are talking about the drugs drugs and the immorality and the people hooking up with people and it's just crazy and he said where do you put life she said I don't know but it's Lord, pastor I just want you to pray for the people and the pastor interrupted her again he said where do you put lights and she was a little bit exasperated at this time she said I don't know wherever dark places are and as the words came out of her mouth she realized oh my goodness God has placed his light inside of me in my workplace and it's a great lesson that you and I need to learn, that we need to stand out. Courageous faith stands out. Not us and what we do that's so great, but rather the God that we represent that lives inside of us. His light, when we allow it to, will shine in and through us. You see, point C here, Nebuchadnezzar gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego a second chance to compromise their convictions, but they stood firm as we continue on in the story. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. And parents, y'all get that, don't you? You're like, I told you to clean your room. I'll give you one more chance. He gives them one more chance. Uh, he said, I will give you... Um, one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And I want you to underline that question. What God will be able to rescue you from my power? And we're going to come back and revisit that in just a moment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God whom we serve is able to save us. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. If that's not courageous faith, I don't know what is. They weren't. Ton, you know, flaunting their spiritual muscles. They just said, we won't cave. We won't... We won't Cut corners. We won't cheat. It is a big deal to God. We will not bow down to your idol. And that leads us to the note. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made up their minds about serving God, or serving only God, long before they stood before the king. I mean, before they got in that scenario, they'd already established, God, I love you. And, and don't you know they spent time praying to him? And don't you know they had spent time in his word? In fact, they probably had the, the first several books of what we know as the Old Testament memorized and committed to heart. You see, they'd made up their mind before that day that they would not waver, they would not cave, they would not give in. It, it reminds me of this. Uh, I, I made a decision some, uh, several weeks, a couple of months back. I, man, I need to lose some weight. And you're like, when you will start, right? No, I decided I need to lose some weight. And I, so I made up my mind that I, I was going to start eating a little less, a little bit better, and do push-ups, pushes away from the table, right? And uh, so I decided I was going to do that. Well, I went to this meeting uh, 
was just a few weeks ago in Birmingham for a group uh, that I'd been invited to be a part of. And we went to this restaurant called Texas Day Brazil. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there before. But I want to explain to you Texas Day Brazil, okay? Some of you have been there. I can tell you're, you start slobbering right there, just a little. Uh, you walk into this restaurant, and you'll notice that the servers are carrying around swords. And on their swords are big, huge pieces of meat. And in their other hands, another sword. And what they do is they walk around, and you have this little card on your table. Green means go. Red means stop. If you put it on green, they're coming to pay you a visit. And they'll be like, this is such and such, rack of whatever. Would you like some? And I'm like, yes, please. And, and you eat that, and they come back with more. Now, I ate a little bit, and I, and I stopped. I, I don't usually do the right thing, but I ate what was normal for a huge person. I mean, uh, I, I stopped norm, faster than I would have and said no more. But the guys I was with, man, they walked in. We rolled them out in wheelbarrows. It was crazy. And even a couple of them said, man, I'm trying to lose weight, you know, whatever. I think it would be a good idea to start tomorrow. And, and because I'd made up my mind a while back I was going to lose some weight, you see how it was easier that day. The same principle applies. Choose today that you're going to honor God, and when the battle comes later, you can stand firm. When you're faced with the fiery furnace, you can stand firm that day. In fact, that's the life application. We can decide today whether or not we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15 says it like this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We must make up our mind that we will stand, we will not give in, that we will honor only God, and we will allow no other God to take his place in our lives. It's not in your outline, but I'd like for you to write down John 3.30 in your margin. John 3.30 And uh, this is John the Baptist teaching, and he says, he must, speaking about Jesus, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. You see, that's the secret to it all. The more I can get out of the way, the more he can be more and more in me. So as I'm less, as Chris Britton, as you know him, is less and less and less, the more that Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit living inside of me is more and more and more. And you see, when we get that right, when we figure that out and learn, you know what, it's not about trying so hard, it's about simply abiding in And remaining connected to Jesus Christ. Spending time with him. When we do that, well, that's when it becomes easier to stand in the face of a fiery furnace or some kind of a a tough trial that life puts in our way. Well, as we move on through the story, uh, the next point along our outline is that God is in control even when it seems like he is not. Now, if you've been here with us through this series so far, you've heard this. Let's see, this is the third week. This is the third time you've heard it. Because it's a mega theme that keeps coming out, that God is in control, even when it seems like he's not. As we read on, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Now, if I can call time out for a second, all of you parents in the room, you get that. I used to have really nice-looking skin, no wrinkles, whatever. Then I had kids. And let me tell you how the kids had an impact on that. I have a wrinkle right here on my eyebrow, right up here. I named it. I named it Miller after my son, okay? Now, you need to understand I love my son. I love him so much I could throw it. No, I'm kidding. I love my son. He is, if you have boys, you understand he's special. <laughs> and it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just they're wild, okay? And if there's trouble to get into, they'll find it. They're like a, a trouble-seeking missile, and, and they'll find it. And, and as a parent, we go to great lengths to say, settle down, sit down, don't touch your sisters, whatever. And he'll be like, uh-huh, yes, sir, uh-huh, yes, sir. Turn your back. He's like that kid in the cave. Oh, wait. Oh, that was me. I guess I'm getting what I deserve. But 
He just can't handle it. And so when he, when he acts out or gets wild or whatever, Miller, and there he is, Miller, right there. He comes out when I do that. So I understand your face getting distorted with rage. That was King Nebuchadnezzar that day. He commanded uh, that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the blazing furnace. Uh, excuse me, they threw him into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers, the very soldiers that escorted him up there, killed them as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, I love the but suddenly there, if it's a movie, this is where we go, dun, 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 dun. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, he said, didn't we tie up three men? And throw them into the furnace? Well, yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth, as he scratches his head, says, looks like a god. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar came close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace. And he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And I want you to underline this. Servants of the most high God. The same God that said, what God can deliver you is now... Servants of the, look, I thought my God was cool. (laughs) Your God wins. Servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. It's a good thing I wasn't in there. Mine had gone up for sure. Uh, Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched, and they didn't even smell of smoke. Isn't that cool? And the note there for us is that God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the middle of a fiery furnace. And I don't even want to delay. I just want to go straight to the life application for you and I. We can trust God to be with us too, no matter what. And it's not necessarily, I mean, I don't know. I haven't read of anybody in America being put to death, to their, uh, put to death because of their faith. We sure don't march people into fiery furnaces. But I know if you're a student, you go to school and you're outspoken for Jesus Christ, you might be committing social suicide. I know that you might get looked at a little funny, not have friends, not get invited to go to anything, be labeled, which to a teenager, that's like one of the worst things you can get. You know, when your job puts morality into question, God's going to be with you when you have to make the decision, do I do, I do what they're asking me to even though I know it's wrong? Do, do I... Do I cross this line that I know God would never have me to do, but they're, they're saying I have to or I lose my job? You see, in those times, we can trust God to be with us. In tough relationship matters, in our marriages, God is with us in the middle of that fight, and you just don't understand God's with you. Parenting issues, my goodness, God's with you when your kid will not get it for the 118th time. Brush your teeth. No, whatever it is. God's with you. Oh, and health concerns. When you get that diagnosis that nobody wants to hear, he's with you. He's with you no matter what. When you face persecution for your faith, God is with us. David says it like this in the 23rd Psalm, very familiar. Verse 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He doesn't say I'll fear no evil because I'm strong and I've been, you know, whatever. I I memorized a bunch of scripture and I'm good. Man, I got this. He said, because you were with me. That's all we need as a believer is to understand the presence of God in our lives, his Holy Spirit. Isaiah, the prophet, 
God speaks through him saying uh, in chapter 41, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You see, God is with you. You don't have to fear. God is on your side. Well, as we move on through this story, the courageous faith of three teenagers changed a king and a culture. Changed, changed everything because of courageous faith. As we read on, I want you to underline this first sentence. Praise, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Underline that sentence. Again, he was the same one that says, what God can deliver you? He's like, <laughs> yours can Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any God except for their own. Again, they're just simply being obedient. And look what it does in this king's life. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same one that said, who can deliver you? Now, look how he's changed. If anyone speaks out against their God, they will be torn limb from limb. Ouch. (laughs) Doesn't sound fun. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. And there is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. You see, all they did was, God, we trust you. And they stood firm in their faith. And then God used that to to open the eyes of a pagan king in a pagan land and totally change the culture. Check it out. The the next verse in our outline, 1 Timothy 4, 12, don't let anyone think less of you because you were young. Be an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live and your love, your faith, and your purity. Young, old, wherever you are, be an example. Hey, how about this? Adults, do you understand there's a generation looking to us to see what we're going to do? You know, there's nobody being persecuted in, in our country that, you know, that, that, we, that we at least hear much of for their faith. But you know what? There's people who, uh, some Egyptian Christians who uh, were removed of their heads because they wouldn't deny God. What, what in the world kind of faith would lead you to be able to, no matter what, I will not cave. You see, that's what the generation behind us is hungry for. They're hungry for seeing some believers who are sold out, who are committed to their faith in Jesus Christ. This says, I will not waver. I will not cave. I will not fall. I will work this out in my marriage. I, we will work this out. We will, come to, we will make wise decisions in our finances. We will not take that promotion. We will not go this direction. We will serve the Lord. That's what we need. That's what we need in our world. That's what we need right here in this church. We need people who will stand on their convictions, not their beliefs in a God that can't do anything for them, but rather their convictions, what they stand firm in, the God that they know. To live a life of courageous faith. We, I, I shared earlier that I lead the student ministry here at Center Point Fellowship Church in Prattville. Let me explain to you what that is. I get to play coach for a team of adults who love students and want to point them towards Jesus Christ. Whose desire is simply to be a resource to families and to, to love on kids that may not get much love elsewhere. Or maybe they do. Maybe they feel like they can't talk to parents, whatever. 
But we just want to be more adults that can be a part of their lives and point them towards Jesus Christ. And we want you to play. I don't want to name any of names of our leaders, but, man, they come flooding to my mind. Of, you know, I've got one that is so much a part of kids' lives and loves them. And the only reason they're like that is because they just took a step of faith and said, God, I don't think I know how to work with students, but I'm going to step out and try it. And because of that, they're so ingrained in so many families. And then there's such a help to them, and they pray for them. They send them Bible verses, and they point them towards Jesus. Got other leaders I got that, that just that pray all the time for their students. And will we'll contact me about it and say, please pray for so-and-so because they're going through this. And, oh, mama and daddy instincts kick in. And they're just like, oh, I'm just please pray for them. And you say, well, how can we help with that? Oh, man, can you pray? Do it. Do you have a house? Use it. Do you have a pool? We'll come play, okay? Come be on our team. Well, parents, what if, what if you did this? What if instead of, and here's the deal. I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound bad. I want to be careful how I say this. Instead of just trusting a, a church to disciple your students, what if you took that serious and you started really investing spiritually in your student, your child, and said, you know what? Why don't we invite three or four of your best friends over once a week? I'll buy the pizza. Let's just have them over and let's just have a good time, hang out. I want to I be involved in their lives. And I just want to teach them to love God's word too as we build a relationship with them. Here's the deal. You want to have a Bible study with them? I'll give you, look, I, I've got online curriculum. You just beep, 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 beep. I don't know why that sounds like a typewriter or a typewriter. Oh my goodness. A keyboard and, and going online. But man, I will hook you up, okay? That's what I want to do is be a resource to you to help you. So what if you did that? And, and then next thing you know, the, these kids start coming to your house and they start loving Jesus because you keep pointing them toward him because they realize you love them unconditionally and then they figure out the only reason you love them unconditionally is because Jesus loves you unconditionally. And you see how it goes. And then they go home and they take moms and dads that don't know Jesus Christ and they're calling you up. They're like, what have you done to my kid? They obey now. Something's wrong, you know? And they're like, why is this? And you're able to say, well, listen, Jesus loves me, and he loves you, and he loves your kid, and that's all we're pouring into them. I have seen, check it out, I have seen families come to know Jesus Christ because of what he's doing in the, in the child's life. Why not be a part of that? Why not get involved? Man, at Pike Road, at Cloverdale, and Wetumpka, there are student ministry leaders at all of our sites. Here, come see me or one of our other leaders. We want to get you involved. It all boils down to the life application right here. God is looking for courageous followers to change our culture. And note that it says courageous followers. Because God's not asking you to do the heavy lifting. He's, ask, he's asking you simply to have courageous faith and he'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. You ask our leaders that are already serving the student ministry, well, how'd you get started? I don't really know. Chris tricked me. <laughs> you know what? I, and... I didn't think I could do it, but I just kept surrendering little areas of my life to God, and, and he's shown himself strong again and again and again and again and again, and I don't think he's going to stop because he doesn't. God's looking for courageous followers to change our culture. Will that be you? Will that be me? Let's dig in. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. 
Lord, we thank you again for uh, just the opportunity to look at your word today. And God, I pray that, that this will, again, that it will be fruitful today, that it will be life-changing, not because of what I say, because, God, I don't have anything good to say, but you do. So, Lord, as your spirit moves here today, I ask that you would uh, prick our hearts, God, that you would, um, maybe there's areas of our life that, that we're caving in a little bit and we need to stand firm in our faith in you. Help us to see that. In fact, even right now, as we sit here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to encourage you, I want to lead you in a time of prayer. Why don't you even right now, how about if we ask God to show us areas where we have bowed and ask him to forgive us? Right now, just take a moment to ask God, help me to see where I've bowed to another idol, and please God, forgive me. And how about this, what if we ask God to help us see the next time we have an opportunity to stand so we won't miss it? Why don't we just ask him right now, God, help me to see the next opportunity you have for me to stand. Maybe even ask him, how can I be a light? Who do you want me to invest in, God? Help me to see it. Because I know in my wisdom, I'm going to miss it all the time. I have to ask God for help in this. And then what if we pray, God, use me to be an agent of change in the culture around me because we all go into dark places. God, use us to shine your light in the places you send us. Lord, through all of this, in my life, God, I pray that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise. And Lord, I I ask that be the prayer for all of us. God, help us to see. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.